Good morning. Good morning. My name is Derek, and it's a pleasure to be back here with you. I teach at Boise Bible College, which is located down on uh, Marigold near the fairgrounds, and we're about equipping young men and women who want to do kingdom work within the church. And so I love being a part of this church at Bryn's Invitation, and to be back here at this part of your juncture through your study through Ephesians is a real treat. So um, I got to tell you about my dad. He has been a Boy Scout master for over 50 years. Um, he's kind of segueing out of that a little bit more. He's, he's about 82, very healthy, um, rides his bike, goes swimming every day. Uh, he, um, I got to see him this past summer. And, uh, you know, he, he's in good health, but he's kind of been thinking realistically, should he pass from this earth and go to heaven before my mom. So he's just processing that. He wants all of his Boy Scout stuff to kind of be preserved, okay? So, so when I'm there at the summertime, we're talking about this stuff, and, and I've seen all that Boy Scout stuff before, but he, he opened up a few memories that I had not ever thought about with him before, and camping, excursions, and then he showed me something I'd never seen before. He opened up this drawer, and he showed me these medals that he had gotten for walking the Abraham Lincoln Trail Abe Lincoln, before he was president, walked these trails in Illinois and Indiana and Kentucky, and, and these medals were given to my dad when he walked uh, many of these trails when he was a teenage boy. So you know, do the math. He's had these for a while, and these are pretty special to him. And you know, my dad's kind of walked those trails multiple times since then. I think just a few years ago, he walked a portion of the trail again. Many of them are paved roads now, not just dusty trails from Abe Lincoln's day. But they're significant, they're important. Those trails are historic, and you could go do it today if you want to. So that whole backpacking, trail walking experience makes me think about this idea of being involved for this walk that we're on, this journey that we're on. So when you want to take a, a trail hike, you got to at least know where the map's going, how long is this going to take, um, what's, what's all going to be involved, what sort of gear should I take, what sort of food should I pack, um, what sort of footwear should I have. You've got to be informed and prepared as a group. Probably good to do it together than just alone. That's always a better, more fun experience. And, and then the day of, you actually got to gotta get up out of bed and strap on the boots and actually get on the trail, right? You, on that trail, though. Where is this going? Oh, yeah, that landmark. Oh, yes, I remember that on the map. I, oh, yes, I remember that sign. Watch out for your footing. We're just being wise about this journey that we're on on this trail. So I think of that imagery. When I hear Paul say, the apostle, when he's talking about walking this good walk in the book of Ephesians, he, he says this idea about walking in verse 15 of chapter 5. He says, therefore, be careful how you walk. Not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So just like taking a, a hike on a trail with, when you're backpacking, you've got to pay attention, be mindful of where your footing should be, and if you're really serious about this whole journey of walking with Christ and wanting to mature in that trail, then what he's saying has some wisdom to it. Be alert. Be wise. It requires you understand the will of the God. According to the Bible, getting into the scriptures, and that's always the best place to go on this trail of life. Where's my next step to be? It requires you, you make the most of each opportunity. You make the most of the time being disciplined to train your mind and train yourself to seize those moments. That phrase, making the most of the moments, making the most of your time, literally means redeeming the time. 
buying back the time. It's actually this ongoing continuous action of purchasing the moment again and again, claiming and reclaiming those moments for Christ's glory. Why redeem the time? Why buy it back? Well, to rescue the time that evil has captured. You know, you, you don't have to go looking for evil. It'll find you out pretty good. I mean, you don't have to go looking for temptations to lust and to fight where your eyes are going to land. I mean, last week, talking with Bryn before this message, I know last week it was a pretty tough subject, hard subject on sexual morality, and, and there's resources available and helpful conversations yet to be had. And if you're serious about this whole maturity walk, be mindful of the days you're evil. So redeem those days back. It'll find you out. Evil will. I don't think you have to be too eager to wake up to have road rage when that teenager cuts you off on your way to work. I don't think we wake up with that mindset. I don't think we look for feelings of insecurity when we get that comment or that look from my boss. I, he'll, evil will find you out, and it will bring destruction to your soul. The days are evil, Paul says. You didn't schedule saying those hurtful words. You didn't wake up thinking you're going to lose your patience with your kids and your spouse this morning. I mean, I thought this was going to be a good Jesus day, and lo and behold, evil finds its way in. Anybody with me on that? On my drive here. So we have to watch. Be careful. Be alert. Be wise. Pay attention to how we go about this walk, this journey. And we frequently hear this talk about time management. I think Paul is talking about life management. Something more holistic. A good, wise, mature walk on this trail. In the dust of Jesus, it requires step-by-step -step careful attention. So, so everything kind of been talked about, as I understand from Bryn, everything that's kind of been addressed the last couple of months, maybe the first part of 2017, requires this full engagement of eyes wide open, step-by-step -step on this journey. So we walk in a worthy manner according to our calling. We walk in unity. We walk together in ministry. We walk with, with not the old ethics, but now the new ethics. We walk in this community-building relationship, not this community-destroying relationship. We, we walk in light. We walk in love. Those are some of the themes that Paul's been kind of hitting on in chapters 4 and 5. And all this requires careful attention to learn how to walk wisely, seizing those moments from evil for God. Walk in a good walk. Doesn't happen accidental like. I mean, I don't think we kind of just drift into discipleship. I don't think we just kind of slide into being like Jesus. It requires intentionality, and that's what Paul is saying in this section. Then Paul gives this key to walking a good walk, to walking a maturing walk. It's, it's the power behind walking into maturity as a Christ follower. And all the instructions that Paul's been kind of listing so far, all of those depend on this command we're going to talk about in just a minute. All of those things are, this is the prerequisite command for all of those things. You can't walk this walk without this command. It's that important when he says in verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation or decadence or debauchery. Don't be filled with wine, but here, be filled with the Spirit. That's the command Paul is getting to. Many people in the ancient world that Paul's writing to in Ephesus and Asia Minor or the first century world, many people believe that drunkenness could produce a sort of inspiration when they're possessed by Dionysus, the god of wine. Worshippers of Dionysus 
letting that God possess them. They got drunk, they lost control, they performed sexual actions in uncontrolled worship under the influence, so to say. Here Paul contrasts that sort of drunkenness with with empowerment by the Holy Spirit. He's saying, get drunk, lose control. Paul's saying, that's not a worshipful life. That's not a good walk. And that's not what we're full of. Liquid courage is short-lived, if you know that. We're to be filled with something greater than that, longer lasting. The characteristics of Jesus through the Holy Spirit put off the old and put on the new. Change your wardrobe. Get drunk. That's, that's an immaturing process in our journey. Problem is, we hardly know much about the Holy Spirit. We don't see too many commercials over the Super Bowl about getting filled with the Spirit. <laughs> the other way around. So, for thousands of years, if I can run with this idea, we've lived with oxygen and having no idea about the chemical properties of that oxygen. For thousands of years, we haven't figured out how our bodies work, but now scientists have learned and, and explored and understand the ability that we can partner with how oxygen works. And so now we have learned how to fight fires better, how to save lives, actually how to create better performance in athletes. Now that we understand we can partner with oxygen, we get it. Okay, there's the idea that I want to run with. The Spirit's like the oxygen of the church. And I think for, for a long time, we have had no clue as Christians about the benefits of the Holy Spirit as oxygen for us. Not really understanding the properties of the Holy Spirit. But now that we can understand it a little bit more, we can actually get in partnership with the Holy Spirit so that we can click on all cylinders as a church by getting our arms around the Holy Spirit, though. It's challenging. It's kind of like trying to, trying to hug a big old wet whale. It's bigger and slippier. The Spirit is a, is a mammoth topic, and once you got him figured out, he slides out between your hands. Therefore, nevertheless, uh, it's worth trying. Trying to figure out, trying to comprehend step by step with the Spirit what it means to be in partnership with the Holy Spirit. Too many Christians have grown to take the Holy Spirit for granted, though. Like he's just assumed. I mean, we take water, electricity, for granted. I know there's a crew leaving this country shortly, trip number seven, to, the, to a spot where water and electricity can't be taken for granted. And if you've ever been to an underdeveloped world or a third world country, you know when you get back and you can turn on the tap and get water and know you can drink it, you know the benefit of that luxury. I think it's the same with the Holy Spirit. We assume the utility of the Holy Spirit is always going to be there. And I think we just kind of assume that, but... but just like water, when water is shut off and you can't use the toilet, I mean, that's a when electricity goes down and your Wi-Fi is down, we freak. So if the Holy Spirit were turned off in your life, would you even notice? Would anybody notice? So know this, the Spirit, the Spirit makes all this faith in Jesus stuff happen. He's the power. He's the strength of Jesus Christ dwelling in us. Too many are taught to follow Jesus without being informed about who actually helps us in this walk of maturing in Jesus. Welcome the role of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
So we gotta, we got to step back a moment. We need to think through about Jesus and what he says to his first disciples, his first followers about the Holy Spirit. Here he is. He's just a few days before he's going to die, a few days before he's going to rise from the dead, about a month or so before he's going to ascend and be exalted to the right hand of God. And he says these words to the 12. He's saying, I, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I want to reassure you. I'm, I'm going away, but I'm not going to leave you alone. And they're kind of going, huh? I'm going to send you the Spirit. And the 12 are kind of like saying, I'm not sure that's a fair trade. Like, like, like we like you. I mean, you've, you've calmed our storms. You've fed our bellies. You've reassured us. We've seen you. Who's the Spirit guy again? I don't think they knew who the Spirit was. I don't know if we do. So if you'll let me this morning, I'd like to take us to to college just for a little bit. Because I just have had the privilege just the last month or so to talk about the role of the Holy Spirit at the Bible college where I teach. And I thought it might be helpful for us on a, on a basic way to get our minds readjusted and recalibrated with the person of the Spirit. So I would need to step into the role of what the Trinity is for just a minute. The Trinity. I teach this idea of the triune God where we have this, this idea that Christianity draws its principles out of the Bible, that there is a God of three in one. It's like this divine dance between God the Father and God the Son and God the Spirit, this community that's so intimate that they kind of go in and through each other in an amazing, kind of mind-blowing, relational, integral way. Uh, Martin Walder put it this way, not three gods in one, but three persons, all the same substance, co-equal, Coexistent, co-eternal. Three, equal yet personal, relational beings within the nature of God. Anybody confused yet? Head scratching? This is a big topic. Many, many pages have been written on this. So this is where I think it's helpful for us to insert some analogies to kind of get our peewee brains around this idea of this concept of the Trinity. Now, analogies aren't truth. Analogies are just pictures of truth. So these pictures will break down if you press them too far to try to find out every ounce of truth. In them. They're just starters into the idea of truth. So when it comes to the Trinity, here's one picture maybe you're familiar with. The H2O, the three states of H2O. You know, liquid, steam, and ice, all kind of coexisting together, H2O. And here's where this analogy is helpful, but it breaks down here because it's very difficult in the lab to sustain all three of these states forever. You can get it, and you can see, oh, yeah, I like H2O3. There you go. I see the Trinity, but eternally, no, so it's a starter. Here's another analogy, the egg. You know, three parts to an egg. You got the yolk, the white, and the shell. But this analogy isn't all that it's cracked up to be. Oh, good. That worked. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you for reacting so positively. Or the yolk would have been on me. So here's the, <laughs> here's the issue. You know, in the egg, you know, if, if, you, if you attach each person of the Trinity to the egg, then you know the yolk never touches the shell. You know that, don't you? That's the white part that protects the yolk. So Really? So let's say Jesus is the yoke and the spirit is the shell. They'd never associate? Well, that's not true. But the, it's an analogy that kind of helps us a little further. You've seen where they go, but fall incomplete. I like this one, Bach, or a, a symphonic musical author. I think this is pretty noteworthy. 
Maybe it'll strike a chord with some of you. Okay, good. Awesome. So here we go. If you like that sort of music, you know, there's usually a major theme, a major, a major thread of music, but, but these guys are brilliant. They'll drop in something that doesn't, where's that coming from? And they'll kind of wind it around the major one, and they'll sometimes add a third. Are you hearing me? It's just amazing, these guys, that compose that music like that. But here's where this kind of stops. Every piece has a starting point and an ending point. Well, the Trinity's not like that. Trinity's eternal on both ends. Or C.S. Lewis. If you'd like to read Lewis, he's proposed the idea of a cube, that God is not this single flat square, this single dimension, but he's multidimensional. And I think it's a helpful idea. With the Trinity, though, I wonder, I'd like to talk to Lewis about this. He's more, he's smarter than I am. But the Trinity is like three, but I see six sides of the square. So I'll explain that a little bit more. Plus, does God have like an ending point where he meets a corner? And so you can see where the cube is helpful, multidimensional, bigger than we can imagine, but maybe it doesn't quite add up totally. There's a bit of a mystery to the Trinity. There's a bit of this unknown. It's logical, but somewhat mysterious. God the Father with God the Son and God the Spirit all together. We know one when we know the other and vice versa. Here's where I'm going with this. The Spirit is a full-fledged member of the Trinity. The Spirit isn't some JV version of Jesus. Or like he's less than, like, tag, you're it, I'll pray for you. You know, there's none of that, there's none of that fear about the Holy Spirit's role here. We can, we got to change our question. What is the Holy Spirit needs to be shifted to who is the Holy Spirit? Who is this being in the person of God in this heavenly substance of this triune communal dance? Notice the verbs though. If you survey the scriptures and you just begin reading what the scriptures say about the role of the Holy Spirit, the actions of the Holy Spirit, you'll see things like this. He speaks. He acts. He calls. He leads. The Spirit guides, He comforts, He knows. The Spirit teaches, the Spirit decides, and the Spirit grieves. This is a person in the Trinity. It's not what we're being filled with, but who we're being filled with. Just like Jesus was in God in flesh, the Spirit is God in spirit. Listen to Jesus as He prepares His disciples for His departure. John 14, He says, I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another helper, referring to the Holy Spirit, that he may be with you forever. It's important to note in our New Testament part of our Bible, and that part of it, that part originally was not written in English. It was written in Greek originally. And so our English words have a Greek word behind it. The, the, the English word another has a couple of Greek potential words behind it. One is heteros, another of a similar kind. It's the root to where we get heterosexual, similar, human, just another that's a little different. That's not the word here. The, the word is alos, another of the exact same kind. I will send you one just like me, he tells the 12. No one less than, but someone equal to. I'm leaving you physically, but I'll reside with you spiritually. Jesus, in a way, is the mugshot of the Holy Spirit. So get this, the person of Jesus in us, Jesus gave himself in spirit form to be in those who follow him, those who walk behind him. And here's the profound truth. God being with us, that is good. But God being in us, that is so much better. Indwelling us, be filled with the presence of God via the spirit. 
But some have received the gift from Jesus and don't even realize who they've been given. Bill Bright tells the story about, in West Texas, a famous oil field called the Yates Pool. Here's the backstory to that. In the 1930s, during the Depression time, there was a field where a sheep rancher owned this land named Mr. Yates. Mr. Yates, um, he had a hard time managing his money such that he could... He could keep his farm going, pay the principal, pay the, pay the mortgage, and, and take care of all his employees. It was a tough, tough time. And so with little food and little money for his family and even friends, a lot of the people in that part of Texas and the nation of that era lived on government subsidy. So day after day, Mr. Yates grazed his sheep on those rolling West Texas hills with a lot of doubt about if he'd have it a month more troubled inside on how to pay the bills. And then the seismographic team showed up and said, Mr. Yates, we think maybe there might be some oil in your land. Would you mind if we could explore? They signed a lease contract. They put a wildcat down there. About 1,115 feet, they struck an enormous oil reserve. The first load of oil was 80,000 barrels a day. The subsequent wells were found that were two and three times bigger than that first one. And even years, 30 years later, a government uh, agency went in and they showed that, that, that still had, one of those wells still had a potential to flow 125,000 barrels of oil. So here's Mr. Yates. He owned the land flat out. The day he signed for those papers to receive all the oil and mineral rights of that land, it was his. And yet, he's living on relief? Government subsidy, food stamps? This multimillionaire in poverty? What's the problem? He didn't know the oil was there. He owned it, but he didn't possess it. The farmer didn't know it, so he didn't live like it. I think oftentimes there's Christians that we don't really realize what we have, and so therefore we don't live according to that. The moment you became a child of God, the moment you became a follower of Christ, the moment you had all the resources available to you, do you know that? Do you realize that? Everything you need to be a man or woman of God on this trail of walking this good walk, including all the wisdom and all the love and all the fortitude, all the patience, that's now available to you at an amazing reservoir of resource. We're taught to follow Jesus and yet we live in spiritual poverty, not possessing what we've been given. Paul's point in Ephesians 5 is this. It's not a question about if you've received the Holy Spirit, if you're a Christ follower. The point is if you're being filled with the strength of his presence. The resources are important. His power, his authority. But we don't want to depersonalize him. It's not a what, it's a who dwells in you. We continually have this person of Christ dwelling within us. So Paul says, be filled with that person of the Holy Spirit. A couple of things that are noteworthy, I think, here. One of them is, this is an active verb in a passive form. Literally, it reads this. It's on the screen, literally. Keep on letting yourselves be filled with the Spirit. Keep on letting yourselves active, but in a passive role. You can't fill yourself with the Spirit. You just make yourself available for the Spirit to fill you. The means, this means that you intentionally work to continually place yourself in a receiving position so that the very person of the Holy Spirit can fill you. This filling isn't completely up to you, and it's not completely up to God. It's a partnership, this dance in a way. 
You and I both have a role. So keep on letting yourselves. Keep on working at letting yourselves be filled with the Spirit. Here it is. I don't think he'll reside where he's not invited. He won't set, he won't set up residence where you don't say, I'm completely available to you to fill me. And here's the second thing. As Americans, we really have to work at this with Scripture reading. But this is not a singular being filled. This is a communal being filled. This is a plural verb. Y'all keep on letting yourselves be filled. Hear that? So together, we're, we're let, letting the Spirit fill us. We walk in the Spirit in a personal way, but it's never individual or isolated. The Spirit indwells our physical body, but He unifies the body of Christ. The Spirit will be our comfort together. It's not just you imitating Him, it's us imitating Him. And He empowers us to be a colony. He empowers us to be His ambassadors. And He builds this community of Christ through the through the spiritual talents you each possess, but collectively, it's a synergy that's made out of heaven. So it's not a question of if we're received him, it's a question of are we utilizing him? It's a question of are are we daily, am I daily, are you daily, are we daily letting ourselves be inhabited by the strength of the presence of the Holy Spirit? The Spirit will be our guide when it comes to decision-making. Anybody here making a tough decision? You've got the white sheet of paper. You've got the columns, pro, con. You're listening. Man, talk to the Spirit about that. Anybody hitting the wall with not sure what to do? You get reached a dead end with this project or an act. He will help you be creative to break it through. The Spirit will be your comfort when you're alone. He'll be your strength when you're feeling beat up. He will enable you to love that unlovely person. He will help you do that. Paul says, if you want to walk a mature walk, if you want to walk a good walk, we've got to keep letting the Spirit fill us. So the big question in the room is how? 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 I think it starts with attaching ourselves to Him. The key is living in a deep, continual attachment to God and with God in the Holy Spirit. It's like two pieces of Velcro. It's like two magnets. Both are required to adhere and to attach themselves to that. So living in partnership, truly living in partnership, walking in step with the Spirit, in sync with the Spirit. It, Paul pictures it as though is that we're walking hand in hand, almost like this ongoing date into engagement in courtship and into marriage. This hand, we took our hand out and he willingly puts his hand in ours. Let's walk together in partnership by the Holy Spirit. And I think some activities as well, not just attachment, but activities with other People willing to be filled by the Spirit. These, these activities of, will frame up your life and will frame up how to view things through the world through your day-to-day regimen. Regularly intaking the Scriptures. Regularly reading the Bible. Continually in process of learning His mind and His ways with others, not just by yourself. Regularly connecting with others so that you all can be willing to let the Spirit fill you. How else? How else are we to let the Spirit be filling us? Being filled with Him is a continual prayer. Lord, fill me. Fill me today with Your Spirit. I need Your guidance. I need Your comfort. Too often I think we find ourselves feeling like I've got to prove something to Jesus, that I'm a worthy, saved person, and so I'm going to show you I can do it. And He's going, stop. I, you can't. Just let me help you do that. And the Spirit's willing to help us, guide us, and give us the the margin to find rest and the margin to find space and, and to position us to, so we, he will lead us and he will empower us and he will walk with us. We put ourselves out there continually saying, fill us. It's almost like 
If you can picture this, you know, like a three-year-old little boy or little girl. I mean, they've been out playing, maybe outside or somewhere in the house, and they come in. You can see them. They're kind of tired. They're a little sweaty. Their hair's frazzled, and they, they want, can I have some lemonade? And so they get a cup, their hands on the counter, and it's like they're busy. They're, they they want to go play some more, but they're thirsty. So, and you're just saying, will you just stand still? I'll pour it in you. Just stop. Okay. I think God says that to us. You hear him? If you all just stop, I will gladly fill you. But man. You think multitasking is a mark of maturity? Man, you're way busy. Just stop. Keep letting yourselves be filled. And you will live in a way that God designed you to be on this journey. So stop often. And be filled with the Spirit means emptying myself of my authority. Part of that letting Him be in means I need to relinquish authority. I do that some better on some days than other days. Hardest part of me, though, is really trying to let him take place of who the CEO of my life is. Kyle Eidelman illustrates it this way. He suggests imagining your life as a boardroom in your heart. So imagine the boardroom in your heart. Imagine the mahogany table and the nice leather chairs and the coffee and the water and the whiteboard to brainstorm. And, and imagine who sits around the boardroom of your life in your heart. You got your career self, you got your financial self, your sexual self, your religious self, you got your hobby self, you got all those selves around the table of your life, right? And like every committee, the board doesn't always collaborate well. Everything's decided by committee within that committee, and it takes a long time to make a decision. And we kind of get comfortable with these partitions up about, well, that's part of myself and that's part of myself. They don't collide or collaborate. And what it comes to with regards to accepting Christ and receiving the Spirit, many times I think is, We'll just scoot another chair up. Hey, Holy Spirit, welcome to the team. Oh, by the way, you've got a vote into my life. And I think if we view the Spirit as just this like supplemental add-on, more than not, He will just be silent because He will not force His way in. So here's what this means. Here's how this works. When you receive the Holy Spirit for the first time, when you came to the point of devoting your life to Christ and, and you're saying, Holy Spirit, enter my life and fire the board. Just fire them all. Every part of my life, you fire, you take it, it's yours. You have complete control, Holy Spirit. You are God in my life. And that's not just when you first, that's a daily on the trail disposition of my mind that I daily say, you are in control. My heart surrenders completely to you. I give you the throne of my life. I can't do that by myself. That's why this is a we journey. Because you can help me, and we can help each other. It's not a question of if you've received the Holy Spirit. It's a question of if you're being filled with the strength and the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's not about, it's not about if he's resident. It's about if he's president. Hear the difference there? He wants to preside in your life, to be controlled by him. As wine would control those in the first century who would get drunk, it means being controlled by the Spirit. To be led and empowered by the Spirit to, to live like Christ for Christ. Someone has put it this way. Here's a quote. I don't know who said it. This, the filling of the Spirit does not mean the believer gets more of the Holy Spirit. The believer gets more of the Holy Spirit, but rather the Spirit gets more of the believer. <laughs> It's not like I get more of the Holy Spirit, like I went back to Kano's for the umpteenth time, I got more food. 
It's not that I get stuffed with him and I've over... No, he gets more of me. Let's surrender ourselves to Christ for the Spirit to gain more control of our life and to walk by the Spirit. Here's the point. Are you willing to rearrange whatever it is in your life in order for him to be filled every nook and cranny of it? Are you willing to rearrange your time? So you actually will make time to read the Bible and process the Bible and digest it and actually discuss it with friends. Are you willing to rearrange the throne room and truly relinquish, as much as it's up to you, everything you can to his authority? What would be evidence of that? What would be proof? What would manifest that the Spirit has actually filled you Well, Paul says you will be different from the world's norms like in Galatians 5, fruit hanging on your tree. You will be filled with the spirit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness. You will display a gentleness and a self-control that is otherworldly. That is being filled with the Holy Spirit. And Paul here in Ephesians 5 says one of the results of being filled with the Spirit is we will, well, We'll break out in song. We will sing in the Spirit. We, we sing for each other's benefit. And we encourage each other as we sing. And we sing as a way to express our love and our appreciation and our gratitude and our indebtedness to Jesus. Notice what Paul says. Be filled with the Spirit in verse 19. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks for all the things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. I've underlined key words here. If you go back to grammar school for just a minute, those are participles. Those are I-N-G words. Those are ongoing action words. Those are, those are unending disciplines of the church that manifest, that reveal, that give evidence to the dynamic presence of the Holy Spirit. So here's some evidences of the Spirit. We will be speaking horizontally to one another, sharing the experience of singing songs to God. That's that other participle. We sing. We're singing for each other's benefit, to encourage and instruct. There's a little bit here, just real quick on singing. In the Old Testament, singing was accompanied by musical instruments. And hymns. Hymns actually are, are Scripture put to music. We sang some hymns this morning and we didn't have hymn books. That's what hymns are. They're choruses from Scripture and spiritual songs. We're talking spirituality is what we sing. It's a spiritual activity. Next week, actually, I understand that, that, that the church is going to really dive into singing and what that means and actually practicing singing together. But that's a huge participle of evidence of the Spirit. He goes on, making melody, harmonizing your voices. Not just me, but we. And then thanksgiving, this heart unleashed in verbal praise, out of gratitude. And then submitting to one another. Submitting to one another. Regarding the other person as more important than me. And that submitting participle is going to segue naturally into that section that comes up next on marriage. Submitting to one another in marriage. What's it look like for the husband to submit out of reverence for Christ? What's it look like for the wife to submit out of reverence for Christ? This is a mutual submission. Thinking of others is more important. This is all about harmonizing. This is all about uniting. This evidence of the Spirit is a galvanizing of the church. And the Spirit does that. This is the church at worship. It's not just a personal relationship. It's a communal relationship. It's not just a me walk. It's a we walk on this trail 
We walk with God together. And, and that's what's noted here. Corporate worship. Being filled with the Spirit as Jesus' people in Jesus' communities at worship in life, outside of this room, but in this room as well, singing. This is the church coming together to sing the story of God, starting here and continuing every day throughout the week, singing to God. And he loves our adoration. He loves our praise to him of his grace. He loves it when we relish in his truth and even the mystery of that divine dance. He loves it when we just worship him in song. Helps us connect vertically, horizontally. Singing to encourage and to bless this connection. So here's my bottom line and I'm done. When we're full of the Holy Spirit, it's like God just living through us to touch others. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is God on display in us, within us, so that others see him through us. I, I know, maybe you don't know, it's, it's a baptism Sunday today. Some are actually lined up to be immersed. And if you want to get into this divine triune dance... Here's Jesus' words. Make disciples, baptizing them. Do you know what he says next, the Great Commission? In the name of Father, Son, and Spirit. This is an entry point into that community. And I'd encourage you, if you're, if you're not there yet, consider doing it, even today. But let's be filled with him so that we can be his ambassadors, that God would be seen through us. You take whatever step you need to take. But let's pray about that right now. Lord Jesus, we need your love. So thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. We need your peace, Jesus. So thank you, Holy Spirit, for bearing that fruit in us. We need your patience. We need your faithfulness. We need your goodness. We need your gentleness and self-control. We need your characteristics, Jesus, so thank you so much for, for relinquishing to us the privilege of having your presence in us by your Spirit. I pray and thanks for this church. I pray they would continue to practice what they can to position themselves to be filled and then Holy Spirit, Almighty God, fill this church that you would be evident here and in that lives would be changed and transformed. For your glory, that's our prayer. Amen.